So welcome to the Adventures of Alice and Bob, the podcast where we peek behind the server room door and get to know the often unsung heroes of cybersecurity. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Lynn Dome, Executive Director of WESIS, W-I-C-Y-S, Women in Cybersecurity, an organization representing a leading alliance between trailblazers from academia, government, and industry. With over 25 years of organizational and leadership experience, Lynn now focuses on an incredibly important but often overlooked aspect of cybersecurity, people. Lynn has received numerous awards and accolades for her work and is recognized for her experience and commitment to bridging the cybersecurity workforce gap and improving the recruitment, retention, and, and advancement of women in cybersecurity. So Lynn, welcome to the podcast today. Well, thank you so much for having me. So let's jump in right at the start. How did you first find yourself involved in the world of cybersecurity? <laughs> well, it's really interesting. It goes back many, many years, um, probably about 15 or 16 years ago. I got involved with some National Science Foundation grants here in the U.S. And the first grant that I got contracted with happened to be in cybersecurity. And it was fascinating. It was my first introduction to cybersecurity at all. And... um you know, I walked into that role just to bridge the gap of what the good work that they were doing is an NSF grant and to be able to effectively communicate that so that everyone had a general understanding of what cybersecurity is about and what we're trying to do with the workforce initiatives. But what really captured my attention with that first role was that um, that there was this workforce gap. To me, cybersecurity was fascinating. It was forever evolving. It was fast paced. It was energetic. It was, you know, no two days are the same. And there was so much involved problem solving, curiosity, shooting down the rabbit hole. Everything that I was so in, tuned in and tapped into was everything that cybersecurity was. And so what really drove my curiosity and got me more and more involved in really keeping the, the focus and the niche area of my career in cybersecurity workforce initiatives initiatives is that there was this critical workforce shortage. Because in my eyes, when I first came across it, and still, why wouldn't someone want to be in cybersecurity? So that was very, very interesting to me. And it led me to kind of, you know, zero in on that focus. And I went to many different other, you know, NSF-funded grants. I worked for Cassia here in the Midwest. I worked for, uh, you know, CyberWatch West in the West Coast, now the Insight Center. Also many different nonprofits and conferences. And it just so happened that WESIS became one of my clients around that 2014-2015 timeframe. And um, it wasn't until I attended my first WESIS conference in 2018, when it was here in the Chicagoland area, where I realized that there was something so missing in my career. And that was that camaraderie and that community and to be surrounded by like-minded individuals that were all in the cybersecurity workforce but yet likely in a, a very male-dominated, um, you know, position within their teams. And so when I attended my first WESIS in 2018, my community was formed. I mean, my network was right there all along. It was something that I was always looking for, and I didn't realize how much I was missing it until I had it. And from that very point, my career advanced significantly in the next year. And in 2019, the founder, Dr. Amberine Suraj, who was at Tennessee Tech, University at the time, she was the founder and is the founder of the WESIS organization. She reached out to me and asked me if I would consider becoming executive director or applying for the position of executive director for the WESIS organization. And so, I mean, it was the first time in my career where I thought, 
when am I going to be able to merge my passion and my career into one, into an organization that I clearly love, and to be able to move forward in that capacity? And so I did it. I went for it. I applied for the position. I did like three months of interviewing with all the board members. And um, after that, I became executive director in October of 2019. Time has flown. That's absolutely fantastic. So just taking a step back, what were you doing before you started working on, on those grants and got into the world of cybersecurity? You know, what was your career tra trajectory before you sort of took that shift? It was very much so marketing and communications. I was always getting contracted in that marketing communications role. And I really think that all my career, everything that I've worked on, on marketing and communications has really benefited the WESIS organization. I was able to take that skill set into the nonprofit, knowing then what I've worked on within industry, within uh, NSF-funded grants and other grants, and then also within the nonprofit space. And so I had a very clear vision when I stepped into WESIS where the gaps were and what needed to happen in order to keep that momentum going strong. And so, and that came from my years of experience from you know, working in that interpersonal organizational public relations setting in journalism and marketing and cons, all those um, really played an, a very active role. So for those listeners who aren't familiar with WESIS, could you just give them a bit of a, a you know, one-on-one introduction to what the mission of WESIS is? Sure. Sure. So the WESIS organization, uh, we actually started in 2014 as a conference. And so we were an NSF-funded grant ourselves. We were just a small little project um, that started with very humble beginnings. At that time, there was some data and statistics that came out that women represented 11% of the workforce. Well, our founder, Dr. Amberine Siraj, she wasn't seeing it in any of her circles of industry, academia, or government. So she reached out to NSF to receive some seed funding to host a technical conference because if women in cybersecurity exist, which she wasn't seeing any of it, she would like to bring them together for a technical conference to learn the cybersecurity together. So NSF uh, awarded her $70,000 and we're a true NSF success story where you get a little bit of money and you're able to grow something really big of it. So that $70,000 came in in 2014. She hosted the first conference, 350 women attended. 2015 was the second conference, it was 550. And then it continued to grow and expand each and every year. And the NSF funding went dry. I mean, it was used up. And so uh, a lot of industry um, and organizations to continue to fund the WESIS conference. And so you fast forward, the conference now reaches full capacity in less than a day of opening up registration. And we're a really um, thriving and growing community that attends that conference. But regardless of gender, we're the only cybersecurity conference that ensures equal representation of industry professionals and aspiring professionals. So since our mission is to recruit, retain, and advance women in cybersecurity, what we do is for every regular registrant, we issue out a scholarship. So as industry professionals are coming to the WESIS conference to grow and expand in their career, we're paying it forward, building that pipeline, bringing them in, bringing them part of the community very early on. So there isn't that stumble and fall. There isn't that gap in and not have an accessibility to the community or to the network, that we could all grow and expand collectively within that community. And so that's the conference. But we then in 2018, we decided to become a nonprofit because there's so much work to do. 
And um, we became a 501c3 nonprofit with the same mission to recruit, retain, and advance women in cybersecurity. Now we're a member-based organization. We have over 8,700 members, representation in 85 countries. We have 63 professional affiliates all around the world. And professional affiliates are extensions of the WESIS Global Organization. And then we have 225 student chapters. And that's just our community alone. So what we essentially do is we create accessibility to cybersecurity and opportunities. We layer it with mentoring and resources. We align it with our 68 strategic partners that fund us with the year-round benefits. And we create a space in cybersecurity where everyone belongs. And so we have lots of different programming efforts that support that. And it's been quite a wonderful journey so far. I mean, that that's just fantastic success story in the past decade there of, you know, there's plenty of vendors and conferences out there who would be very jealous of of those you know those growth figures and the the way you've been able to to scale that out um what are some of the key initiatives then that that you do beyond the conferences we have um skill development training programs um those are funded by google meta bloomberg craig newmark philanthropies target aws many different um organizations help fund those skill development training programs and each and every program is designed differently. Um, but all of them are there to create accessibility that for folks, whether they're in cybersecurity, that we're providing them the accessibility to resources and training where it will take them to advance in their career. Or those that have never even heard of cybersecurity are looking for a career change. We're creating an inclusive space where everyone belongs and people feel comfortable but be like, well, I really don't know much about this, but WESIS is offering this program that's new for individuals that are exploring cybersecurity careers. So I'm going to jump on board and see what I, what I could do. And so what we're looking for is that aptitude, that grit, and that determination. Because quite honestly, we all know that you can't have diversity. You know, we're always talking about diversifying the workforce. You can't have diversity unless you have a pipeline. And you're not going to have the pipeline unless you're tapping into a diverse community. And so what WESIS, and that cycle tends to go around and around and around. And so what WESIS is here is we're here to create that accessibility and that opportunity to folks to jump on board and then advance in their careers because of it. And those skill development training programs are a really critical piece for women to not only get into cyber, but to advance in their career, women and underrepresented. Um, but we also have a mentor-mentee program where we put together a curriculum to upskill and up-level women no matter where they're at in their career, preparing them for their next level of advancement. It's a nine-month program. There's 1,600 enrolled in that program right now. So that's fabulous. I'm a mentor in that program every year, and I lean in on my cohort like nobody's business. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Great friendships and bonds are formed with that. Um, we have a job board. We have virtual career fairs, leadership summits, leadership series. Um, there's so many different offerings. It's speakers bureau, lots of different um, opportunities to, to gain access to cybersecurity. And in terms of building that pipeline that you mentioned there, you know, you've got a mix of existing professionals and people who you're trying to kind of funnel into the industry. What what sort of ages are we talking about? How how early on are you engaging people to start to build that pipeline out? So it really depends. Um, our area of focus primarily started in that college age individual to bring them as a scholarship recipient to the WESIS conference because students in general, they're not 
available, like there's no registration to come to the WESIS conference. They have to go through the scholarship application in order to attend. And that's the way that we're able to ensure equal representation of industry professionals and aspiring professionals. But we have also launched a student chapter program, and um, we have 225 student chapters, and now that it's gone into the high schools. So really our area where we focus on is between 14 into, um, you know, very advanced into your career, like CISOs, whatever, there's no age limit there, you know, into that CISO role. But mm -hmm. um you know, I would say that what we're looking for is individuals when it comes to building the pipeline, no matter where any woman or non-binary individual is at in their career, if they're considering cybersecurity career pivot, then we're here to be able to provide that opportunity to them. So a lot of our programming efforts, we see those non-traditional career changers because that's the really the community that we're targeting. And they're coming in at you know, 32, 35 years old and, and getting into their cybersecurity careers at that age. That's really nice to hear that you're just targeting all that different things and look, not just looking at people who are looking to start a career, but maybe partway through a career that they could then change into a different area. I think that's, that's really oh, yeah. important these days to be able to have that flexibility and people like yourself who've gone on that journey where you've discovered actually suddenly there's this thing that you're very passionate about that you can, you know, happily spend your time working on. So really nice to hear that that side of things um one of the things that we often talk about on this podcast and we often have guests on and they talk about the problems with cybersecurity are there's a talent shortage there's a skill shortage and then at the same time you know you, we're talking to yourself and we have this disproportionately male uh, community that's out there in cybersecurity. Uh, you know when i go to a conference i've been playing for 10 years the how many middle-aged bald white men are in the audience in front of me game just to see how it's changing over the years and slowly I believe it is changing but possibly not as fast as we need to do what do you think some of the barriers are to unlocking this completely untapped opportunity of expanding the cybersecurity workforce solving the problems that are out there bringing more women into the industry yeah and so exactly what we're doing I mean WESIS exists because we're at a critical workforce shortage that's the reason why we exist and we know that we're here to build up that cybersecurity workforce and I think there's like 3.5 million unfilled jobs globally I haven't looked up the recent data but um, you know there's an incredible gap here and and the demand is going to grow significantly each and every year and we we then come have studies that come across our desk, like the Gartner study that predicts that in 2025, that 50% of the cybersecurity leaders are going to leave their role, with 25% of those individuals considering leaving cybersecurity altogether. So we have some significant challenges. And right now we're at this critical point where we really need to pay attention. We can't always be talking about the pipeline. We really have to pay attention to the leaky pipe. And there are some significant barriers there. Now, WESIS as an organization, we, our mentor-mentee program, we, we have the curriculum to upskill and up-level women. And a lot of those are conversations on negotiation and the biggest challenges that we see for women in the workforce, which, you know, is the negotiation, the presentation to identify, you know, proper, in, in, you know, communication skills in order to be able to advance in your career, to be seen, to be heard, to brand yourself, to put yourself out there. We, of course, you know, ourselves even coach on that. But we has peeled back the layers and really realized that when we're talking about diversifying the workforce, that 
The lack of diversity is truly a symptom of the lack of inclusion. And we always talk about diversity, like tapping into the diverse talent in order to build up the cybersecurity workforce. But we also have to retain that talent and look at inclusion. But inclusion is a topic that not a lot of people really want to talk about because inclusion is complicated. It's more challenging. Inclusion is a feeling and it's only felt when you're excluded. And so, you know, there's some barriers there with industry having awareness and understanding of what is the state of inclusion so that we could, um, as an industry, overcome those barriers and those those challenges there. So WESIS has done a, a state of inclusion assessment. It's a pioneering study, so first of its kind study. And it was able, it, what it created was the um, um, the opportunity for us to level set the conversation with industry and to really pinpoint some areas where industry could take responsibility on overcoming those barriers too. So um, it's really helped us to have in these conversations with industry folks on what the next steps are. On, on the previous podcast, I had a conversation with a guest who was talking about imposter syndrome. And it's something that I've seen come up time and time again. And one of the things that we were discussing was, is it actually that imposter syndrome exists or is imposter syndrome a symptom of a lack of an inclusive workspace that people are feeling like they have to behave differently to fit into this environment and they're feeling excluded because of it and therefore feel they, they aren't capable of doing the job? I don't know. What's your thought on the, you know, the role of imposter syndrome versus you know, inclusivity? I think it would likely play a very significant role. I mean, when you have the experiences of exclusion going on, in the industry. And what our studies show is that individuals that participated in the WESIS state of inclusion assessment identified that 68% of their experiences of exclusion stem from leadership, 62% stem from their managers, and 58% stem from their peers. And only 12% of experiences of exclusion came from policies. So we know it's people, why people leave their careers. It's not policy, yeah. it's not because of the policies. It's not because of the job, it's because of the peers, the managers, and the leaders. And when we say things like we need, you know, inclusive uh, spaces stem from leadership, but yet our study reveals that 68% of our um, participants experience exclusion from leaders specifically, there's some challenges there. And so I would imagine that um, imposter syndrome and then having those experiences of exclusion really play a big role into individuals just not finding their space in cybersecurity or feeling like they don't belong and stepping into a different career because of that. Um, and so that's what we're here to overcome. We're here to overcome those, those areas. And there's many different barriers. There's microaggressions. There's unconscious bias. There's conscious bias. You know, those are all things that impact the state of inclusion for where, uh, you know, how everyone belongs on their team. And so it's really important for leaders and managers just to pay attention to data, like the report that's there and other data that's out there um, to overcome that. One of the stories that came up when we were doing the research for this was um, you're talking about a CISO who had, I think it was around 30 to 40% women on his team because they'd taken certain steps to be conscious of this and focus on different things. Maybe you could share... Uh, that story or a similar story to, you know, describe some of the impacts that leadership can actually have and how they can start to, to change the the way things are structured today. 
Yeah. You know, um, the CISO story is one of my favorite stories because I was very new to being WESA's executive director and I just did a presentation. And afterwards, I went to the keynote luncheon and sat down at a table full of people that I didn't know. And I introduced myself and the guy to the left of me um, was really happy to be sitting right next to me because he was super proud to share that his cybersecurity team had 35% women and that he even mentioned at the table that he wasn't going to stop until he was at 50% women. He's the CISO of a very large company in, in um, Ohio. And so I asked him, I was like, wow, that's really impressive because the average team is roughly 20 to 24% of cybersecurity in the workforce. And most teams aren't even seeing that statistic and that percentage. And so I asked him what he was doing differently. And he very thoughtfully considered that question, looked around the table and turned to me. And he's like, well, Lynn, I'm paying attention. And so he didn't accept that there was no underrepresented, that there was no women applying for the position. He knew that if women weren't applying for the positions, that something was broken. The hiring practices weren't in place to create that accessibility and that inclusive um, inclusivity for those to apply for that position. So he paid attention and looked at those job recs himself. He took away everything that was just a wish list, and we're all guilty of it. Of course, we want you know the unicorn. We want everyone that has everything. But the reality is that there is more job recs out there that have a CISSP requirement as there are CISSP holding individuals. Yeah. So we have to be very realistic with our job descriptions. And he took away everything that was just a, a wish list and only the core basics that he needed, knowing fully well that when he hired onto his team, that they're going to spend an extensive amount of time training on their his tools in his department. And so he also put the job racks through a gender neutral tool. There's so many free tools out there right at everyone's fingertips. And then he shared it with the cybersecurity um, women that were on his team to see if there was any other areas and gaps that he was overlooking. And with that, he was able to gauge that partnership with talent acquisition and really take intentional actions on meeting the community where the community is at. And so a lot of times we do our hiring practices just as we always do them. And then we're shocked when no underrepresented individuals apply for those positions. Well, really, things are different. And when you're out there looking for diverse talent, there's plenty of places to look. You just have to put and be very intentional on where you're looking and meeting the community where the community is at to build the teams that you dream on building. Because that powerful diversity of thought is extremely critical for cybersecurity careers in particular to solve the problems that have never previously existed before. You need that diversity of thought. Yeah, I think that's just really valuable advice. You're making me think because I'm in the process of recruiting for my team at the moment and we haven't had a, you know, I haven't had a single woman CV put in front of me so far. So you're definitely giving me practical things to go back and actually engage with, uh, you know, within my own career here. In terms of, you know, dealing with, those things, so at the, at the CISO level, the hiring level, there's, there's things we can think about there. We can gender blind. We can make sure that we're getting an equal amount of applicants, that we're not excluding people there. At the kind of more individual level, anyone in an organization, what do you think is 
something that everyone listening to this podcast could start doing practically today to, to tackle these systemic issues, to, to actually make a difference? Because we talk about these things a lot in the industry, but we often aren't, don't seem to be making much changes. So what, what are maybe one or two things that people can practically do themselves? Well, I think the advice of the CISO of paying attention is the hmm. most incredible place to start. And interrupting the interrupters we all are part of meetings each and every day where there is always interrupters um, or identifying if someone is taking credit for a project or a program launch and um, or product launch and and um, knowing fully well who what other team members are contributing to bring value to that, like to utilize your voice. Really, allyship is a leadership skill set. And we do recognize that it's hard and it's challenging because you're putting yourself in a very vulnerable state when you speak up as an ally and really interrupt those interrupters. And so those areas of just paying attention is really important. At the WESIS conference, we had an allyship symposium last year. And with that, we had a panel of WESIS members. And there was a panelist that's very high up there at a very large company and she was sharing that prior to her position at the company she's currently at, she was on a team where it was 95 men and she was the only female. And she's incredible and like an incredible individual, brilliant cybersecurity um, professional. And she said that every day they would go to lunch and they would all pair up and like their groups and they would all leave and go to lunch. And so she was sitting at her desk every single day alone, eating her lunch alone. And when she was on that panel at the WESIS conference, she shared, did they, did nobody in the room think I ate lunch? Like all it was, was a simple ask. Like, hey, what are you doing for lunch? Do you want to join us? Like it wasn't such a hard ask. It's just an ask, just paying attention to your surroundings and feeling like, oh, okay, well, this person in particular really hasn't shared her viewpoint yet or his viewpoint. And so I'm going to be the person that's going to ask them, what are your contributions? You know, what do you think about this product or program? Um, and really open up that inclusive space of communication and bringing people into the conversation. Fantastic advice there. And just, just things to be, you know, like you say, just be aware and be conscious in, in all aspects of your role. And the, the, you know, the lunch example is a really powerful thing. I, come across that in in other companies um, not specifically with women actually but with um, people different ethnic backgrounds who just felt they'd been excluded from certain company things and it wasn't a conscious effort it's just people subconsciously were just forming off in groups and disappearing and then leaving them alone so they felt very excluded and the company ultimately didn't retain them long enough and they were very valuable contributors in the team so you know things like that are really important for us to think about um, I'm interested to know how do you think cybersecurity compares to other industries is it ahead of the curve is it behind the curve is it even with regards to recruiting with regards to kind of the the equality the recruiting the retaining uh, of women you know james that's a really good question i don't have any data on that right now like any current data um i haven't been asked that question in quite some time about where we are in regard in comparison to other industries I would think we're still behind with what we're doing in cybersecurity. I mean, cybersecurity has a lot of challenges, I mean, to overcome. It's been, sure. um, you know, 
heavily male-dominated for a very long time, a tougher industry to kind of break into in general, um, or it has that feeling. And there's a lot of systemic kind of uh, things that go on in the industry itself that has kind of held its back itself, the industry back and being sure. perceived as inclusive in general. So yeah. we're here to help create that space of belonging in the cybersecurity workforce. But I think we're going to have some, you know, still some hurdles to overcome. Yeah, what it's are interesting. state of inclusion? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. After you. You know, what's really interesting is one of our, um, the, the state of inclusion assessment really came out that women experience a glass ceiling at around six years within a specific organization. And so that was an interesting finding that we really weren't anticipating on discovering so quickly into that study um, that came up right from the very start. And 57% of women shared that career growth and expansion was a, a very high source of exclusion too. And so what's that showing is that, you know, that that at that six-year mark, that at that time, those that participate in our study are experiencing their colleagues getting career advancement opportunities. They're getting passed up for stretch assignment. Their managers are kind of just accepting them for status quo. They're not on a clear career advancement pathway. There is no intentionality on, you know, what their career growth is going to be like within that organization. And they just kind of float within that role, not feeling very satisfied and quite frankly, bored. And that's one of the reasons why they would choose to step out of that organization or their career. So there's all sorts of different contributing factors to the cybersecurity workforce we have right now. But we're making progress. And that's what we're here to do is to continue to make that progress. Yeah, I think that's what's really compelling about the WESIS mission there, that you're not just talking about getting people into the industry, but actually helping them progress in the industry, helping them stay in the industry, which is the often, you know, overlooked thing uh, in well, quite a lot of industries, actually, you know, uh, in the UK at the moment, we're talking difficulties in hiring teachers and doctors and all these kind of things. And it's not getting them into the industry. It's actually keeping them there. Obviously, different challenges, but it's often the thing that people don't think about. So organizations, you know, definitely need to think about why those glass ceilings exist and what the career structures look like and try and, I don't, do you do any work to help organizations maybe gender blind career pathways? We're starting to do that work. We're, we're per participating with our strategic partners, creating the opportunity for um, them to have more awareness on what the state of inclusion for their in, for their company in particular is, and then then we could help them overcome that, um, you know, and and really help build out a programming effort that would align with their initiatives. One of the the things you know you've mentioned as we've been talking is you've brought a community and the conferences and. Again, in the research, when we're looking at the some of the backstories of uh, some of the things you've talked about in the past, there was a story of, I think it was Manzi, who had got a WESIS scholarship, was going to drop out of the program, but then actually by attending a conference decided to continue and actually went on to advance her career. Could you talk to us a little bit about the importance of that community and why actually not just having virtual events or being a member of something, getting people together in person is so important? 
Yeah, um, the community is extremely valuable. And that's why the scholarships that we issue out to the conference are those that are even just thinking about cybersecurity. Because we know if we could get them to the WESIS conference, that they will likely stay and pursue their career in cybersecurity because of the community and the network and the big, you know, all the energy and, and the information shared um, and the connections that are made there. But Manzi in particular, she, she was one of those students. She received a, a scholarship and she, by the time she got her scholarship and was coming to WESIS, she already made up her mind that cybersecurity is no longer for her. She has no place in cybersecurity. It's not her career pathway. She's just no longer interested, but she has this scholarship. So, hey, why not go out to the conference and, and meet new people? But when she first came in, she happened to meet our founder, Dr. Amberine Siraj. And Amberine just was talking to her ever so slightly. And she's like, what are you interested in? And Amberine was able to introduce her to a table of other you know, young women that are interested in the same. And with that, Manzi's network was formed, her community was found, and she was so energized and engaged in cybersecurity that she advanced in her career significantly because of that. And interestingly enough, she um, and I are on panels together now. And so WESIS was kind of a launching pad to her career. And as she's gone higher up into a more senior role, in her cybersecurity career, oftentimes her paths will cross at very conf various conferences. And she's able to share that story with others and how it just made this the, the biggest difference, the life-changing difference. But that's what we're here to do. Like we're here. And another great story is Christine Morsey. She was an HBCU grad at um, um, in physical therapy. And she was at the peak of her physical therapy career, never even considering that cybersecurity was a career option for her, but she was just not satisfied. Just, in physical therapy. She was looking for something that was more engaging and had more, you know, curiosity to do just so much more. Um, and on her LinkedIn profile came up something about the WESIS Security Training Scholarship. Not being technical herself, but having family members that were technical, she never thought in a million years that she would have the technical capabilities to go into cybersecurity. And why would she switch careers? She had, you know, she had a degree, she had a job, she was at the peak of her job, she had a family. You know, why would you consider that? But she did it. She took a, a big look at herself and and decided that she was just going to dive into one of this WESIS programs. Well, she just so happened to have the aptitude, the grit, the determination, the curiosity. And she advanced through that scholarship program. And at that time, this was in 2020, she was one of 16 final scholarship recipients that received Advanced SANS certification in career placement. Well, her entry level cybersecurity role we had uh it, it was such a uh, it had such a higher financial impact for her as the peak of her physical physical therapy and it was just life-changing i mean it's a life-changing experience we have these stories each and every day like i'm incredibly proud and honored to be able to have the community around me that is sharing these stories every day because it's making a difference. These lucrative careers in cybersecurity are accessible for women. We're here to create that accessibility and to have them in these careers to be able to, you know, uh, you know, to be able to support themselves, to be able to support their families, to be able to move to the cities that they want to move into and have the careers at the companies that they want to have the careers at. And so it opens up a lot of opportunities and a lot of choices. 
um, and a lot of, you know, more flexibility for women. And so that's another area why it's so important that the work that we're doing with WESIS and the partners that we have is incredibly critical, not only for the cybersecurity workforce, but for women to have the careers and the livelihoods that they want. It's just fantastic listening to you talk and you, you clearly, you know, just so passionate about people and their journeys and that snowball effect, like you mentioned um, uh, with Manzi, that you, you know, you had that conversation at the the conference out there. She's now in the industry and now she's on the, the panel with you trying to, you know, get this out in front of more people. Um, conference is actually an interesting one because when, when I look at your um, bio on, on the WESIS website, I notice you've got over 35 speaking engagements in 2023, uh, around 50 in 2022. So first of all, how, how do you manage all the, the travel and all, all that workload? Oh, gosh. Well, we, I, I certainly managed it a lot better. I'm sure I could do that. But um, it, it's really a part of my role is to get out there and to share the WESIS opportunities and experiences with others and to get to know the community. And so, you know, that's uh, that's a really fortunate part of my position. And so... How I manage it is through a lot of work and each and every day thinking about hmm, what do I have to prepare for for next week? <laughs> and so a lot of foresight and 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 looking at the audience. And it's really interesting, James, because when I go to these speaking engagements and when I go to conferences, I know a lot of conference organizers, including WESIS, we all want the keynote presentation or the presentation queued up so many days in advance. And it's very, very hard being on the other side of it. Because it takes me a, se a second or two just to kind of level set the energy that's coming from the conference. And yeah. so I really do like going to the actual event. Next week, I'll be traveling um, down to Florida for two separate events, two, two very different speaking engagements. And it does take me a day to be a part of like the, the vibe there to really realize how do I need to shift my presentation so that it energizes and that it resonates with all everyone in the audience. Um, and so a lot of times I'll go with an open mind with an idea of what I want to be discussing. And then really when I get there, you know, make it more concrete and pull the information together in a way that I think would, you know, just resonate best with the audience. So it's a lot to manage. I just realized about a day or so ago that I have eight more trips that I have to still book flights for. So <laughs> I'll be working through that late this evening, but it's a juggling act, but it's certainly a space that I really enjoy being in. One of the things you mentioned there, which I, I really liked was that kind of gauging the vibe of the audience and, and what topics you need to talk on and what, what things you want to push. Have you got any advice to anyone who might find themselves wanting to speak at an event, wanting to talk about something, how they could do those kind of things to judge it rather than just walking in blind with a, you know, here's my five bullet points in my presentation. Right. And, you know, doing presentations, we all have ideas. We have the engaging title, the description and what we want. We know our PowerPoint presentation. We know the data. We know the information. And it's a way of how are we going to present it that the audience will really stick with the audience and impact them. And so um, any types of recommendations that I have for presenters, whether they're new to presenting or later on is just, again, it boils down to paying attention, being a part of the community. And I think that 
as a nonprofit executive director, my role is to listen to the community for what their needs are and to build out programs that bridge the gap to that makes sense for the industry and the employers. Because we're here kind of as that catalyst, that connector between the two, the community and the employer, employer needs, and to bring them both together. And so with that came a lot of listening. And so a lot what I do is listening. And when I go to these conferences, I do kick back and just sit as an audience member listening to the other presentations, um, even after doing my good research of knowing how many attendees are going to be, what are the titles of the attendees, you know, what are the other topics that are going to be discussed, what's the level of knowledge that I'll be uh, presenting to the audience on. Um, and it, but it still boils down to the human side, like we're all people. And when, when you get to know others at a conference and network and connect with others, you want to keep that bond and that connection. And you want the information when you're on the stage to resonate with them. And so you do have to shift. I mean, the night before, you just have to think, okay, is this information, is it, is it, am I presenting in a way that makes sense for this audience? Sometimes you have to tighten it up and make it really professional, short, sweet, to the point, a lot of data. And other times you have to throw in a lot of stories. And do storytelling in order just to get the, the, the synopsis of brains connecting and energized and, and identifying with the presentation itself. So it's all about being flexible, not being very rigid minded and being extremely fluid in how you are and how you want to present. That's, that's lovely advice to hear for people. I think that's, that's one of the traps that people often fall in when presenting that they just they've got an idea of exactly what they're going to say and they don't deviate from that regardless of whether the room's on board with it or not. So yeah, that, that flexibility and just being comfortable standing up there and, and trying to get your core point across is, is good, good to, uh, to talk to people about. We're nearly out of time today, unfortunately, but I just want to ask you a couple of, of final questions. So where do you think the greatest opportunities are for progress in empowering women in cybersecurity today? The greatest opportunities to progress is the creating accessibility to these training programs. We know darn well that the, the educational pathway is extremely confusing going into cybersecurity, that it's not clean cut and straightforward. We know that you could do certifications, you could be technical, you could be non-technical, you could do traditional education, you could get your master's or PhD. There's so many different avenues. Um, but to kind of clear away some of the cobwebs and get individuals laser focused on saying that you could do it and this is how you're going to do it. And we says as a nonprofit is funded to bring you from point A to point B. And um, all we need is your commitment to be able to study and move forward in this area. Um, that's really going to be a lot of progress. And then once folks are in their cybersecurity, just to careers, just to realize that the navigating doesn't stop there. Cybersecurity is always changing. And in your careers, you're always going to be navigating through your career. And so that curiosity always has to remain strong. And you can't be extremely rigid on where you want to be because there's always stepping stones to get you to the places to go. Um, and so, you know, just navigating, navigating through not only your education and your training to get into cybersecurity, but keeping that mindset open, being like the navigating's not done. I'm still here to explore other opportunities and possibilities and advance in my career and take advan advantage 
of those stretch assignments in career advancement opportunities. And one final curveball, which is a question I'm borrowing from my podcast co-host, Carl. Uh, it's one of his favorites to ask is, what question should I have asked you today that I haven't asked you? That's a really good question. What? It's a tough one, isn't it? It, it throw, throws people on the frame. But uh, if, is there, if there's anything you think we should have talked about today that we haven't discussed, maybe? No, James, I think you kind of covered it all. <laughs> well, I don't know what else that we could simply talk about. Yeah. There we go. So, you see that? That's, um, a, that's a very strong ending for this podcast, then, if we've, if we've done it perfectly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so finally, before we sign this one off, if people want to learn more about yourself or Wheatus, where are the best places for them to go and, and find you and the organization? They could go to wieses.org. So it's W-I-C-Y-S.org. Um, and they can find me at link on LinkedIn. Um, I'm all throughout social media. And, um, you know, they have accessibility to my uh, about page on the website as well. So That's great. Well, thank you very much for your time. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for this week. But really, a lot of thanks to our inspiring guest there, Lynn Dom of WESIS for sharing her story with us today and really giving us insight into how we can be improving recruitment, retention and advancement of women in cybersecurity because the more people, the more diversity we can have in this industry, ultimately the more secure the world we live in will be. Thanks as always to super producer Ben and the team at Beyond Trust that make this podcast happen. I'm James Maud and this has been Adventures of Alice and Bob. Thanks for listening to the Adventures of Alice and Bob podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and share this with colleagues that'll get value from it. 